High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, swim club members, cross-country runners, those of you out there looking for their true loves. Oh, and an extra special shout-out to you college dropouts out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening, but first... Summer school is still in session. So let's chat about your homework assignments. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Did you listen to last week's episode on summer school teachers? Big thank you again to Alexandra Schroeder for passing by for that one. And if you didn't listen to that episode or watch the film because you weren't too familiar with it, well, shame on you. One, it was your homework. Two, don't let that stop you, because it was a really, really, really fun episode. And the movie's really easy to watch. Just Google it, and you'll find it free somewhere. I promise. Did you do your homework for this week? Well, that was to watch another film that maybe went under the radar, but I really enjoyed, called The Myth of the American Sleepover. Our guest is Chris Podcasts. But before that, of course... The important, important stuff as well is that you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, do all the other cool podcast things that help this show, the easy things like hitting that subscribe button, whether you're on Google Play, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, whether you're listening on Spotify, or whether you're listening on the other one, which is skipping me right now, It's Stitcher, whether you're listening on Stitcher. Hit subscribe, leave us a five-star rating, write us a review. That's the best way you can help High School Slumber Party. The other, other, other best way is by telling a friend about all the wonderful things we're doing once we get under those covers, get into the sleeping bag, and watch and talk about some great films together. And don't forget, guys, you know what I love. I love... A nice social media dialogue. Class participation is an important part of your grade. So speaking of social media, I know one person who's going to get an A for class participation this week. The foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. And I see you sitting at the front of the class today. Kyle, how you been? How's your summer been going? 
Uh, whatever. That's my high school. <laughs> that's my high school impression. I wasn't a whatever kid in high school. I was gonna say that definitely was not you in high school. No, but just like front of the class. Eh, whatever. But that also that whatever kid wouldn't be sitting in the front of the class. <laughs> so anyway, good, uh, it's been character. great. Yeah, been at the swim club a lot and ice cream trucks and no, no, that's true. <laughs> my, so you- my summer has been wonderful. How's yours been? Good, pretty good. We're enjoying ourselves here in High School Slumber Party. So you mentioned um, on social media, I think it was Twitter, and I don't know if we've told this story on this show. We, we might have, but who cares? We'll tell it again. Um, you said one of your favorite memories of me was during summer school, and last week's movie was summer school teachers. So, Kyle, I said, why not stop by the classroom and come up to the board and share what exact story you're talking about i think i know but please tell tell the slumbers what exactly you mean by one of your favorite memories of me was from summer school so um obviously an early memory because we met in high school and this is summer school after you know going into sophomore year uh so still very early in our friendship but we were, I think, happy to see... I, I was going just to get extra credits in art class. I believe you were there for a, a math class. And we were just yes. happy to see one another. Yes, just to backtrack. And I did tell this on... This part I told on our summer school episode, not summer school teachers, a year ago, was that I did not have glasses my freshman year. I wanted to get them. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I had contacts, but I didn't want to put them in. And... You know, I failed math, so that summer I got classes and I had to retake math, and I was subject to summer school. But you were great at naming calculators, and <laughs> yeah, I, I took that math class freshman year as pure fun and hijinks because I just again literally could not see the board, so I did zero with Mrs. Baker. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, I think we were happy to see that we were both like you know going to and this is also the we had a sister high school have you had anyone that went to northern valley demerson i don't think so well yeah so we had a you know we're from northern valley regional high school at old Tapan. there's northern valley regional high school at demerist and so they you know trade off the summer school so we were at demerist that summer and uh yeah we would uh be hanging out and there was one specific day where this uh one kid that was kind of bullying was he bullying you or was this did this i don't remember this part specifically or was it just that day no he wasn't really bullying me long term i walked yeah. in to the school and for some reason i don't know maybe i was just rushing to get there he he said i didn't hold the door for his girlfriend yes i had no idea that he didn't hold the door for her like i, I at the most I was just being rude, and I just didn't see her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't intentionally, like, shut the door. Like, no, you know? of course not. I just walked in and started, like, hustling Yeah. to my class. And I caught that brief, like, interact. I think I was kind of in the front of the, the front area uh, of the high school. And then what followed after that was then he followed you and he had like the like the loudest like boots ever it was just like no they, they were flip-flops they were like oh, sandals, were flip-flops like heavy sandals you know so see what they... time does i just remembered he was a loud walker i, I, I just <laughs> thought it was boots but he had loud flip-flops and then 
Yeah, I, I just I was still hustling down the hallway. Yeah, and, and then you, you met up with me. You're like, oh, you know, why are you going so fast? I'm like, I don't know. I think this kid's chasing me. Yeah, and then I just it all happened so fast. I mean, I had a very similar experience uh, freshman year of someone coming up and like pushing me uh, with like and. All of a sudden, this kid, and like when you said that, then I turned around and this kid just came up and like shoved you like to the ground, and then you uh, started to then make Pokemon noises <laughs> in, a, in, in a in a form of self defense, just to kind of I think like fuck with his mind and weird him out. <laughs> hey, it worked. It worked. Yeah, and he was just like you know, probably, like, something like, forget you, and then just, like, walked away, and it was just, like, <laughs> I, was, I was just stunned, because, again, it must have happened, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to paint my, or cover my tracks and say, like, I, you know, I was, I, I was a coward in any sense, but it must have happened really fast, because I don't even remember, like, exchanging, like, any words with him, yell alone having a moment to maybe step in, you know, or anything like that, because he just walked away, and it was just, in and out like the devil's whisper. So that was just, I just, <laughs> as far as, so again, for me saying it's one of my, like, you know, like as uh, a silly memory that I'm like fond of, I just think of you just like on the floor making Pokemon noises and this kid being utterly confused by it and walking <laughs> away. And it was just a, a great form of, uh, you know, nonviolence, which I'm, you know. Yeah, violence is not the answer. And... Violence not the answer. Just weirding people out with Pokemon noises is, so. I used to, yeah, like, to defend myself from bullies or even, like, people being jerks to me, especially early on, like, when we were freshmen and sophomores, I guess, and, like, it was, like, older kids, I used to try to use words to either freak people out or deflect them in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. The most, like, violence I ever used on a kid picking on me was, uh, I forgot this kid's name, but he was really giving me a hard time around the entire school. And I really had to, to like defend myself. And I didn't really want to get into a fight. So, I, you know, I kind of threatened him, like, you know, st- you know stop saying something or, like, it's going to have to come to something. And instead of, like, and he, he said something again, and instead of, like, punching him or shoving him, I just, like, dramatically, and not hard, like, purposely not hard, I dramatically, like, slapped him on, on the face. Like, how dare you? Oh, I remember you? who this is. Yeah. Kind of slap. And he was so, like, flabbergasted and perplexed, he never bothered me again. And again, I can't, <laughs> I can't stress enough that I didn't smack him with, like, with all my might or give him a I thought a it mark. was the hat. That's you? How that, was a different, that was a different person. Oh, okay. So I'm thinking of someone different. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, this was a, a different person that I just, like, gave him a, a smack in the face and like, like you know, if you smack someone in the face hard, you're gonna leave it mark. It's gonna. So I didn't. Yeah. I didn't do that. It was more like about the like the dramaticness of it. And like I said, he never gave me good trouble again. You're thinking of the yes. Now it seems like I got into a lot of fights, but I I really didn't. I swear. Well, I don't know. I mean, we we. I mean, we were both picked on a fair share in high school. By no means did I know how to handle it. And by the end, I definitely did physically like start like like throwing my weight around and like being like, all right, man, like you want this to happen? Like, let's make it happen. Just calling him out on it. Like being like, I am not afraid. And you know, I mean, a dream scenario of mine is to have that. Like, I mean, no, I don't want, it's not a dream scenario. I, I, I would like to think that if someone was beating me up, I would have the 
sense of humor and just like the 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 moment of like uh Brad Pitt in Fight Club being like ah Lou and just like totally taking that power away from them in that moment. Yeah, that's but, a good way to put it. Yeah, taking the power away from them. Yeah, well, uh, honestly, one thing as far as like a non-violent again because I mean I didn't know I wouldn't have not no, known what to do. And I forget who specifically it was. I'm sure if I looked at the yearbook, I know he was older than us. But when we were like the spots that we sat in in B cafeteria, someone came up and spit on my fry, like a big, hocked a big loogie right, right in the middle of them. And I just looked at them and I just ate the fries around it and just <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, like didn't make sure not to like, you know, yeah. eat his loogie, but just like being like, fuck you, man. Like that was the whole, like, I mean, by no means, uh, I'm sure you've had, well, I know between Mike Manzi and then we even have a, uh, a, a friend of ours that would be like, yeah, I was like punk rock. Like we were definitely not punk rock, but we were definitely like anti, <sighs> Not even wasn't fuck like saying anti-establishment. No, just, like, like anti-mainstream. I don't know. Anti, yeah, anti-mainstream. Just like anti, just like conformist, like that kind of bullshit. Like these, like antiquated, like I'm a bully and you're, you know, like the whole. I mean, we grew up in a time of saying pussy and pardon my hateful language, but like you're a fag, like anything like that. Yeah, like, which again, words, I, I do not condone today no. or ever but you know or ever that's but just those were words being yeah exactly that was a realistic language Kyle, I, mean, I think you learned a valuable lesson um that again we're not experts in the field but if you for lack of a better word like sell something if someone is like trying to hurt you emotionally like by mm-hmm. bullying you and you really show that it's bothering you they're gonna continue doing it. Yeah, if yeah, you that's that's what they feed on. They feed on seeing either you're upset, you're you're you know, or you, you, I mean, just all 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 all, all the negative you know, <laughs> emo- emotions from upset and afraid and and angry and just yeah, all you that. just but that doesn't mean get run over by them, but kind of just like no, sell it, move on and. And they'll eventually stop. At least that's what I've seen in my experience. I'm remembering another time, really quickly, that I I was being teased, and maybe rightfully so, I don't know, but I used to love wearing Paisley shirts, <laughs> and I used to love wearing berets and stuff like that. I liked pushing the fashion envelope in high school yes, a little bit. But- by no means, I mean, because this is a horrible thing to say for anybody, but like, by no means were we asking for it, but did we give people ammunition? Yes. Sure, but I still think you shouldn't pick on someone because of No, of course wearing. not. Of course not. Um, but like, for, so for was, assholes, I, yeah. I remember wearing this paisley shirt, and I think I had a beret on, and some older kid in class was like, something about my shirt, probably about looking gay or something like that or i remember he criticized like oh where'd you get that shirt blah 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 and i just and i know i was like wow as soon as i said it this guy's gonna punch me he didn't it shut him up but he's like where'd you get that shirt it looks blah 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 whatever it is and i was like sorry it was the last thing i picked up when i was running out of your mom's bedroom this morning (laughs) like you know off the floor or something like that you know and just he just shut him up and again i don't condone using that kind of language or bringing the mamas into it but <laughs> no but that's a line that's like a funny line that that's <laughs> they, that like sean williams or either sean williams scott or paul rudd says in role models <laughs> when they're like yeah so 
you know, sometimes, yeah, you just gotta, like, I mean, because also if you're being bullied and it's gonna make you feel better, like, just to put somebody in their place, but you just also gotta be ready for them. I, 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 obviously, I mean, it just, it has to happen less now. I mean, there's just different forms of bullying. I mean, yeah, we, we don't know. We're not in high we didn't, school. We didn't, I mean, you know, I'm just saying in the sense that you hear all these, like, anti-bully regulations. I think they're definitely more on top of it and try to, like, you know, put an end to it right in the beginning. Like, really confront it head on. But obviously, you know, assholes are going to be assholes. And then, like I was going to say, I mean, we didn't grow up in a time of being at school and social media. So now you don't own, like, you know, I used to, when I hated school, like, in the... I was just like, thank God I'm home. I don't have to deal with this. But now kids are being bullied on Instagram and Twitter and what, what, whatever, you know, apps they're using. And so it goes past school. So that's got to be really horrible when that happens for kids. Because, you know, no kid, you know, obviously deserves to be, you know, go, go through any of that. I mean, uh, just, uh, you know, I mean, it's fine every once in a while to be like, you know, your friends like kind of making fun of you about something like all that's you know just like in good fun and that kind of stuff but you know just a bully like what's the what the fuck is the point of being a bully a lesson in bullying and what not to do from the foodie films man himself (laughs) kyle reinfried uh the most qualified man America. No. <laughs> I hey, I was bullied a lot, and I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still here. So, so Kyle, quick question: Did you do your high school slumber party homework for last week? Did you watch the interesting, interesting film, Summer School Teachers? Yeah, yeah, I actually, I did. It was, um, you know, sounded like it could be a fun <laughs> cinematic adventure. Now, I ask you because, did you notice that there was uh, one or two foodie scenes in this film? Yes, there were. <laughs> there was uh, some grocery scenes, there was some making dinner scenes, there was, I, I, I was expecting some food to be brought into the bedroom at one point. I mean, <laughs> there were some, that was one of the most, like, sensual sex scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> A lot of nipple play. A lot of nipple play. So I know you do enjoy a '70s lady. I'm just joking. I do. I feel. I feel like There's you've said that in the past. Okay. That's fine. You keep it in here. It must be. It must have been in. on uh, on record. <laughs> it must have been on our P.S. I Love Hoffman. Yeah, Boogie probably. Nights P- or yeah, something. Boogie yeah. Nights or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if you're too familiar with these '70s B-, B films, or I guess what did you think of the food scenes, or what did you think of the overall vibe of summer school teachers? Um. So I mean. It was, I mean, not, I mean, definitely falls into that B category in movies. <laughs> um, it felt a little like all over the place, and like it just as far as just like certain s- stories going on the back burner for a little while, and then kind of coming back. Uh, but definitely the food scenes. I mean, just I mean, you just talk about grocery shopping you know grocery stores have always been i feel like you know uh equated with you know picking up people and that kind of atmosphere (laughs) Uh, like in pop culture like you know there's always like a tv scene you know that like go to the go to the supermarket to pick up a chick uh or like you know single moms or something like that uh and so that was an interesting scene, and then one uh, I don't remember the characters' names. So of course, who does? 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, so like that, the, those scenes, and then yeah, there was there was just a lot of food representation in the film. People snacking think, on stuff and eating on stuff, or just making dinner and uh, food so sensual. You know, it really is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Really quickly, uh, reminds me a couple supermarket scenes that come to my mind. I don't know if those are technically foodie scenes, but they're in a place where you get food, right? So they could be. Would a supermarket film be a food film to you? Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's find some supermarket films. Not one go- not one specific one. I mean, uh, s- supermarket scenes. Yeah, no. Scenes, mind. I think of, of course, one that we're both familiar with. Uh, Punch Drunk Love. Uh, Punch Drunk Love. With Adam uh, Sandler. To go with Adam Sandler again, another one first actually came to mind, Big Daddy. Big Daddy. Yeah, that's, that's a really great one. Yeah, so, or even, yeah. How about uh, this one? Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, that's a good one. How about this one? Little Giants. Little Giants, yeah, throwing the toilet paper, and then she's, <laughs> yeah. I love the way that one kid, when he catches it, and he's like, you got an arm, like, or whatever, he's like, yeah. Or he's like, nice catch. He's like, gee, thanks. Like, just the way he's like, thanks. Which just blew my mind. Uh, I was, I don't know how. Oh, because I saw, I think, a Netflix, that movie Now and Then. Is that a high school movie, by the way? I, do, I don't think so. School? I think they're a little younger than that. I think, yeah. Yeah. But um, but the, ki- the kid that's in that, Oh, this would be then a high school movie. Uh, so he, well, not the, the next one I'm going to say, but I'm sorry. Anyway, the kid that's in Now and Then, this boy, he's in then Casper. He is the quarterback in Little Giants. And then oh, yeah. He's, and then he's the kid from Final Destination. Oh, yeah, Devin Sawa, of course. He, he's like a, in a bunch of those films. Um, so Joey Lewandowski, the godfather, he was on the first ever episode of Wistful Thinking. I think it was the first episode also on the Cage Club Podcast Network, and they talk about Casper. Yeah, but Devin Sawa was a heartthrob to, to the middle school ladies or even, like, the grammar school ladies back then. <laughs> yeah, I just never put it together that, like, those were all, especially then, like, Final Destination, that that was, like, the same... Yeah, actor. I forgot about that. <laughs> and that's yeah. a, So that's a high school movie, right? Um, I gotta check that out. The horror ones, I'm not so good at, but I think, I'm pretty I sure mean, that's a high school movie. They're going on a high school, they're supposed to be going on a high school trip to France. I wasn't sure if it was high school or college, but yeah. No, definitely gotta check that one out. Uh, quickly, there was one more I was gonna name. Oh, Old School is what I was thinking of, too. At the end, when oh, uh, yeah. Will Ferrell meets up with Juliet Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah! Like, he's like, or 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 when they're picking up pledges and the woman is pushing and her husband are pushing the shopping cart and the van hits it he's like if you fucking tell anybody this we'll fucking kill you and he's like he's like no "No, i'm just totally kidding and then he takes like whatever the like chips are or whatever so there's a lot of actually good supermarket scenes um i'm sure there's a ton we're missing but anyway we got a we got a fun movie coming up today. I'm sure you didn't do your homework this week because it's a bit of an indie film, but it's a good one. Uh, the Myth of the American Sleepover. So, Kyle, I'm going to let you go home and, uh, you know, get your sleeping bag and watch The Myth of the American Sleepover so you can better understand this podcast when What it is comes The out. Myth of the American Sleepover? Have you seen uh, It Follows? It's a very popular horror film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the director... David Robert Mitchell. This was the mm-hmm. film he did before It Follows. Oh, cool. Yeah, I actually have like It Follows on Blu-ray. I was a big fan of it. Yeah, so uh, between, you know, between when we leave school and when the slumber party happens, 
maybe you should watch The Myth of the American Sleepover and yeah. let me know. Do, yes. do they address like what the myth is of The American Sleepover? Is there a myth? What is the myth? You'll have to watch the movie and listen to the episode, no. Kyle. Not going to reveal it in, the, in right now because I feel like people will stop listening. <laughs> no. Boy, you really know how to keep them. <laughs> keep them hooked. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for stopping by the classroom. Of course, yeah. Thanks for. I'm always happy to stop by. I'll uh, keep my name on the chalkboard. On like the good, isn't it? Don't they make like lists of like good students? On I the feel like the bad kid's name goes on the chalkboard. Uh, okay. Like well, you get your name on the board and then like a check next to it. Like I don't right, know. Just give me a sticker then. <laughs> Gold star for Kyle. <laughs> yes. You guys know what that sound means, and I know I've kept you long enough today. Trust me. So, without further ado, pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. And I know, I know you can't wait to hear us chat about the myth of the American sleepover. So, let's take it away with a song that I really, really love, and we'll talk about it a little here. At least I will, because it's really, I love this band, I love this song. The band is Beirut. The song is Elephant Gun. It reminds me of a time when I was really into this kind of indie music. But I digress. Class dismissed. If I was young, I'd flee this town I've buried my dreams underground As did I, we drink to die We drink to night Far from home, elephant guns Let's take them down, one by one Will they hit down? It's not been found It's not Um, yeah, I've been on a little bit of a summer vacation, actually, so this is pretty fitting. That's good. You know, you picked a good movie here, because I had never seen it before, but we'll get into that. Sure. It's your first time on this show, and how we introduce ourselves on the show, Chris, is we say our name and our high school, but yep. say whatever you want to say, because I know okay. you're quite mysterious, yeah. but graduating class, all that jazz. Sure. Hey, I'm uh, Chris Podcasts, class of 2004 from Central Jersey Catholic High School. Go sports team. <laughs> That's good enough for me. Uh, 
So before we dive into the myth of the American sleepover, so great for this podcast, by the way, so perfect. You know, I asked all my new guests this, what was your high school experience like, or can you share anything from your high school experience? Absolutely. Um, So I went to a Catholic high school after previously having only been in public high schools. I didn't have a great middle school experience. I, th- I feel like I had the middle school experience that like a lot of people had in high school, I guess, according to the movies, like the, the tougher time, the being the outcast and all that stuff. Mm. I-, I have a very vivid mem- memory of my mother and father, like sitting me down and like, we need to talk. And I was like, oh God, who died? But it was actually, they were just like, we want to send you to Catholic high school. And like, they expected <laughs> a fight. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. And, like, rock and roll, <laughs> I'm in. And so I did go there and it was definitely a, um, there, there was a lot more rich kids at this Catholic school. Um, so I didn't fit in uh, super well, but there, there was a contingency of, um, you know, people from, from my part of town, from the other side of the tracks. And, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, like, I got along pretty well with everybody. I certainly was in no way popular, but I certainly wasn't like, I, I, there, there really wasn't much in the way of outcasts at the school of all things, but the cliched, like rich kid shit from these movies, like wasn't really there. I just kind of, I had my group of friends. I floated somewhere between like eighth grade and ninth grade. I learned that like, having a sense of humor is pretty cool um, <laughs> and that I had a decent one. And I think that kind of served me really well because I could talk to anybody at any time. I didn't necessarily, cause I was like, I was in a bunch of punk bands and I had fucking Liberty spikes and I was like, I was that kid, but I, <laughs> I didn't have like a, any kind of a, a tough experience. I, uh, I wouldn't say I, I loved it. It wasn't the best time of my life, but I had, I had a good time in high school. It's fine. That's cool. not that interesting. I, I know. I Sorry. like those, uh, you know, I like having punks on the show always. <laughs> always welcome a lot of punks got into movies i, I feel like because it, it's one of the most common things people come on and say yeah it's um it was something that really did bring me and a group of friends together we would always do like um even before like you know the room and and the, all those movies like me and my friends <laughs> would go and rent something off of the uh off of like the wall that's straight to dvd wall at blockbuster and that would be that'd be our friday nights usually it was a bad movie night <laughs> i want you to think about that and and Put that in in the bank and remember that for later because I'm going to ask you some questions about that. So this film, The Myth of the American Sleepover, funny, I guess, how this kind of came to be, this even episode. Obviously, both of us are Cage Club Podcast Network hosts, and we were at uh, the Godfather Joey Lewandowski's barbecue. And somewhere in a likely alcohol-filled conversation that later involved a lot of Exciting wrestling talk. I was fired up. <laughs> I only wish this was a wrestling podcast, but it's not. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, you suggested this film, and I, I like for a couple of weeks. I was like, "What was the movie he suggested?" And I finally asked Joey, and I think you told me like Joey asked you, and you couldn't yeah, remember either. <laughs> I could not. I tracked it down by just going through all my notes, and it was in a random note about a personal story from other cage club podcast network host, Michael Manzi ah. buried in there. I'm like, Oh, that has to be it. So I'm glad we figured out what it is. I am as well. It's uh, this is my third time seeing this movie. And I think I like it a little more each time. I'm, I'm pretty sure our conversation had to do with it follows. And then maybe I brought this up, but yeah, camp cage club is usually an alcohol fueled affair. So, yeah, <laughs> Oh man, and I'm so glad you brought this to my attention because I had not even like really heard of it. I'd seen It Follows, but only, only I don't want to say by accident. So when I started this show, Joey Lewandowski, who we mentioned, was like, oh, I want to be on the It Follows episode. That's the first one I want to do. So I was like, great. 
I'm watching the film. I realize it takes place in college, not high school. I was going to say. <laughs> so we never did it on this show. A little bit erroneous information from Joey there. But I, I was happy because, I mean, that movie's pretty awesome. And then mm-hmm. I realized, you know, that it was the same guy here. And I don't know. I'm excited to talk about this one. But if you guys aren't familiar with the myth of American sleepover out there, I'm not surprised because, you know, it's small-budget indie film. It was like the film before the film for this guy. But every week I read the back of the DVD or back of the VHS. Obviously, this is a DVD. So here goes. <clears throat> In the tradition of free-willing tributes to adolescents like Dazed and Confused, the film follows four young people, a cast of brilliant young newcomers in their feature film debuts, on the last day of summer, in their final night of freedom before the new school year begins. The teenagers cross paths as they explore the suburban wonderland they inhabit in search of love and adventure, chasing first kisses, elusive crushes, popularity and parties, and will discover the quiet moments that will later resonate as the best of their youth. That's the summary. Um, What do you think? Do you think it's uh, on the nose or what? So it's interesting that it brought up Days and Confused because a lot of the things I read about this movie over the last uh, 24 hours while doing some research also brought up Days and Confused. I think it actually has more DNA with... um, well, kind of like in the same way that like humans and pigs share some DNA, but like it has some <laughs> DNA with Can't Hardly Wait, which I went back and listened to your episode of that um, in preparation for this. Mm. Um, I do think oh, it shares yeah, a little more a... DNA of that, but both both that's fit. That's a good but call. At the same time, I feel like uh, you know, Days and Confused or um, Can't Hardly Wait because they take place in one night and are about high school. Those are the story that you tell your friends in college when you're drinking and like telling wild high school stories but like the actual thing that happened is the myth of the american sleepover oh my god so on the money like i saw some people compare this to john hughes films and i get it and just from doing this podcast everything goes back to john hughes films for better or worse but this is almost about the space between the john hughes films if that makes sense like it's like the negative space in a painting almost like there's like such a realness to this film that that i love and i was like Super impressed watching it. I was very interested to hear how, essentially, like this. This isn't a movie for high schoolers. Like I think high school kids would hate this movie. This is a movie for people with podcasts that dissect high school films. Yes. <laughs> when I was growing up, like many of us, we used to we got a little bit pretentious in films. Would watch something and then recommend them to people who probably weren't going to like them and my example was always my mom i would watch a film like this be like mom you have to see this and she'd be like what was that i don't get it there was no point to that film and this is not this is not a film for everyone and i totally get that but if you're into this kind of stuff i think especially me who pretty much 90 percent of all the films i've watched for the last two years are high school films this was like money to me i was this was awesome everything is in the title it really does take all of those things, and it never calls them out specifically, but it takes a lot of the moments from other films that you know that took place in high school and around high school parties and kind of does, it doesn't like parody them, it doesn't satire them, it doesn't take a direct shit on them. It just kind of says that doesn't happen in real life and real life is actually kind of boring sometimes uh, and it's just about single moments and it kind of deconstructs them without ever without ever being cruel towards those movies that it kind of knows it came from. Yeah, no, and that that's true. Like, I was thinking that too. I was trying to think, is this trying to have a commentary on the 
films, all the films I watch essentially for this podcast. And like, it's like yes and no. Yes, but not in like a all those films suck kind of way. I, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. So I was going to actually ask you that next. Like, what do you think this title exactly means or, or what does it represent? I've always kind of thought about it from the perspective of the kids and I could never really get it other than like your expectations are never what really happens. But then maybe just because it's been inceptioned because I knew I was doing this podcast and it's in my head this time I did really think of it as a, um, I guess it's still kind of an expectations versus reality thing, but for the viewer more of the reality of yeah. what those things were and capturing those moments from your childhood more realistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Now, they never say the line, the myth of the American sleepover in the film, but they do say something similar. I forgot what that one character says. Something like the myth of being a teenager when they're when the, the two of them swim out to that, I don't know, that like platform thing. Yes. And that's that like the closest to, I guess, them directly explaining things. We're supposed to be my friend's sleepover right now, but we ditched it for your party. Really? <laughs> yeah. I actually liked my friends had sleepovers. Why? I don't know. I guess that's the kind of thing you miss when you're too old to do anymore. I guess. I'm seriously. There's something to be said for all the cool stuff you get to do when you're a kid. Start showing up to keg parties and going skinny dipping. Just don't even remember how amazing it is to play a board game on the floor of your friend's living room. Or a game of tag in the backyard. Yeah, <laughs> it was tag. What grade are you in again? Sorry. You're sweet. I don't want you to buy into all the youthful adventure. Come on, what's wrong with that? It's a myth. A myth of what? Being a teenager, and you trick you into giving up your childhood, all these promises of adventure. But once you realize what you lost, it's too late. Can't get it back. Yeah, that's kind of like I find that dialogue really out of place. It's probably my least favorite part of the film mm -hmm. because it's it's kind of the character and a character who. I think he says he's only, he's only a junior in high school, but he's giving like this sage wisdom to this person who's about to enter <laughs> high school. And it's like, that is screenwriter dialogue. That's the one place you really fucked up. That does not sound like a child. No, I took it as just like basically literally him telling us what he wants us to think for better or worse. Cause I, I kind of laughed at it too, because he's only what, two years older than the character he's speaking yeah. to. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I remember when I used to like love sleepovers. I miss those times. Like, you know, not those exact words, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you mean. I mean. It didn't bother me so much. It just was definitely like, that was the least real part. I'll say that. I, I want to just bring up really quickly, because um, mm -hmm. I think what this movie does really well, better than a lot of movies that I've seen is establish a tone and a mood throughout that carries it all the way. I think It Follows did something similar. I think if you watch these two movies, there's so many things that are done again in It Follows um, from it being kind of a timeless film. Like you don't really know when this movie takes place. It could yes. be now, but no one has cell phones, but it's probably not the seventies, um, but you don't, you don't really know. And same with It Follows can't really tell when that movie takes place. It's a world that is inhibited by apparently almost no parents. Do we see it, any? You see, so I, I looked specifically this time, there is the 
um, when Rob, who I would say is like the closest, to like the Ethan Embry character of this movie, <laughs> uh, when he when he first sees his Jennifer Love Hewitt, she is walking with her mother, but then the mother quickly leaves frame. And then when um, Scott, who I can only describe to the listener as a uh, a deflated Dave Grohl, um, <laughs> when he crashes freshman orientation, there's a teacher or whatever asleep at the door. Those are the only two that I ever saw in the movie, looking out for them, other than that parade at the end. Hmm. Yeah, no, because after I watched it, I was like, did I see any adults? So I'm glad you caught that, because <laughs> I didn't notice any of them. But you're so right about... Uh, the, I mean, we know it's Michigan. We, we know it's sometime in the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. But th- there's no periodness about it. It just exists. And, and you're right, there are no cell phones. It's interesting, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about that, but it follows us the same way. I mean, we've been tiptoeing around this guy's name. The director is D- uh, David Robert Mitchell. Yeah, that's um, not a director's name. That's the name of someone who tries to shoot a president. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> Did you see his newer, newest film, Under Silver Lake? So I, as I was watching this, I was like, holy shit, this movie also used like abandoned concrete structures and indoor swimming pools. I wonder if Under the Silver Lake completes his trilogy. <laughs> that's a good point. I, have I, mean, not I seen haven't it. seen it, but I saw, I was like looking it up and I watched the trailer for it. And I'm like, oh, this is a very similar feel, especially like the swimming aspect of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this guy is awesome. I like, can't wait to see what happens next here. I, I mean, who knows? Like sometimes people fizzle out, but like I'm, I'm really getting to this guy because again, I saw It Follows yeah. and I wasn't, I didn't do any scholarship on it because, uh, you know, it wasn't a high school film. As sad as that is, guys. For, um, you know, this film, I was like, oh, same guy, awesome. And I'm really excited to see Under the Silver Lake. Now, I mean, I love Andrew Garfield, so I've been wanting to, but I just kind of forgot. Um, if I had more time before this, I probably would have just to, to do more um, Mitchell catch up. Um, but there's, there's no one, uh, not nobody, but something that he does incredibly well is set tone and mood and because there's not a ton of plot in this movie it's one night of kids having individual moments that will shape them after this transitionary point in their lives and it is really more about the feeling and if you don't mind me there's something i just want to introduce and i kind of kind of try to explain it because it's tough to describe feelings in a way you know how like some languages have uh really good words for like things that we don't have like schadenfreude for example (laughs) Uh, like that's a great one there's a um there's a japanese term mono no awa Mono no aware, which um, literally translates to the pathos of things, but what it essentially hmm. is, it's the idea of the awareness of impermanence, uh, the transient nature of things, which often creates like a gentle sadness or w- wistfulness at their passing, as well as like a longer, deeper, gentle sadness about the state being of like the reality of life. I pulled most of that off Wikipedia, but I knew the phrase. And this this movie wow. is one of really two movies that has ever made me kind of feel that all the way through and the other i'm not directly comparing these inequalities because i think lost in translation is the other one and that's a masterpiece i think this movie is very good um, but i don't put it on that terms i think they both establish a very specific tone and ride it all the way and that's what makes it a movie that can transcend plot sorry that was a lot i apologize no that's that's well you like with that word uh, you blew my mind i'm like wow you know like that's a that's a Crazy I thought. It, yeah. I wasn't thinking of loss in translation, and that's a really, you know, that's a really good point here. I, I get exactly what you're saying. This film is, and it's not so much about like answering these questions, right? It's no. just about, like you said, the feeling of it. Yeah, time is passing, and you know that. Like these kids are all in very transitionary states in their lives, 
and it's just one moment in their lives and they don't know what's coming next and it's okay like you don't have to hypothesize will uh will molly ringwald stay with judd nelson at the end of all this like it doesn't matter like it takes place right then and there no questions are really answered it's just a day in the life and that's okay sometimes yeah these are the kind of movies that like i well okay so backtrack a little i thought the music in this was awesome and when I was like really into the kind of music that was into this film, I was also into thinking of thoughts like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I kind of wish I saw this when it came out, because as much as I like it now, I think it would have changed me Like in, uh, what year is it, 2015? I know that wasn't that long ago, but I don't know. That's just the mood I was in, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so a band I really especially liked at the time uh, is Beirut. And they have a song in this called Elephant Gun. It's when they're, like, riding the bikes. And okay. It, it's cool. Like, I've said this on previous podcasts. It, you feel like you're really old when you go into a Home Depot or, like, a Walmart, and they're playing the music that you had on your, like, you know, your phone or whatever, like, five or six years ago that was not on the radio, and suddenly it's in, like, like I said, a Walmart. So yeah. I like when I hear music like that in films like this. You know, I guess that's the long and short of it. I got excited when I heard that song. Between the kind of indie soundtrack and the the muted tones and the the kind of a lack of a plot and the the quiet pregnant pauses, would you consider this like I think around the time this came out there was a a term that was used for a lot of movies like this called mumblecore? Um mm, yeah, you're right. Do, do you think this fits I, into that kind of? You know what? I, I wasn't thinking about that, but I think you you're right about that because look, it's using all actors who aren't in anything from what i click haven't really been anything in anything else it kind of does have that mumblecore feel i don't know how i feel about that but (laughs) i think you're right i do think it's a derogatory term but at the same time (laughs) over on my show i invented the term latte gaze so like i'm not above using derogatory terms for genre (laughs) wow you kind of blew my mind there i think you're right (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can also call it like um you can also call it like Pulp Fiction through the lens of an eighth grader, like with the, the interweaving plots and things like that. Um, and it is, it is kind of hard. We should probably get into the plot for the listeners because they're not going to know what the fuck we're talking about. But there's just, there is very little plot to it. It's just kind of characters interweaving in and out of each other's lives over the course of one night. Yeah, and usually like at this point, before we get into the plot, I'll like go through like the cast and the famous oh, names yeah. we know. But they're really, you know, they're just unknown. So I'll ask you this. Who, and if you don't remember their actor name, that's fine. Who did you think, like, of these relatively amateurs, like, stood out for you? Maybe was there someone who was like, okay, you know, they're a little too crappy, even for this film. Was there anything that stood out to you? I think the people who had the worst deliveries were people who had, like, one line, or at least, like, at a party. And that's, I don't think there's anyone who was really terrible in this movie. Um, the, the girl, Claudia, who's the runner, who was at the, the Mean Girls party. Um, we'll get into her plot later, but uh, I think she really stood out to me. I think she was one of the better... Um, performers in the movie, as well as what was her name? Is it Maggie, the girl with the short blonde hair? Yeah, yeah, her too. Those those two actresses, I thought, did a really impressive job. Yeah, no, I, I agreed with that too. Um, what did you think of? Uh, I guess that's his name is the Scott, the one who goes after the twins. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yes, uh, scrawny Dave Grohl. Um, he's <laughs> he's fine in his his character is kind of like a doofy weirdo and he does that well but he doesn't have any like he doesn't he can't carry any kind of pathos but i don't know if you're really supposed to have any for his character because i think he has the least interesting plot in the entire movie while this was like going on 
I was, like, really hating what was happening, but eventually, like, I was okay with it, especially, again, after seeing all these high school films. Like, I think that was the biggest commentary on high school films outside of this world. We'll get into, like, the four main storylines, right? Sure. Like like you said, there's, like, the Claudia, who's, um, she's, like, a new girl who moves in. Yeah, she's a new girl in town, yeah. Yeah, there's Maggie's storyline, and she, who whatever she likes a guy at the pool we'll, we'll talk about that too yeah there's scott and the twins and then there's a uh, rob who is the one chasing supermarket girl so i don't yeah. know i guess we like you said this is kind of like not a lot happens so i think it's probably better right. to go like character sure like by character rather than scene by scene and bouncing back and forth because i probably couldn't remember that anyway in the structure of the way it flows so i guess we'll start with who, who do we even see first? Oh, it's, uh, of course. It's it, Maggie. It, it really opens up fast, too. Like, yes. this... <laughs> I just feel like I should have done more this summer. You did a lot. I mean, fun stuff. Like, I don't know. It's Maggie at, at the pool. Maggie and her friend, whose name I do not remember. She she runs with, like, a... um, I, I think they coded her as supposed to be kind of, like, mousy and, and nerdy. Because I think that's kind of a trope in these movies as well. And they are both in... Uh, them and Rob are both eighth grade starting ninth grade next week. This takes place at the end of the summer. I'm like, you know, can't hardly wait. It takes place at the beginning. So like they're in a very transitionary state. Yeah. Last day of summer, you know, big deal, obviously. Like I really like their look, like especially the friend is one of the most like accurate looking high schoolers I've ever seen while doing this podcast, if that makes sense. I had a similar thought while watching this um, and it's kind of, it would kind of take me on a tangent, but there, there is something that happens very early on in this movie that made me kind of think since the last time I saw it, that it was going for something or that, that Mitchell was going for something very specific in how he filmed the female characters in this movie. What is it? What is it? We want to know. Okay. Then I, so, so I kind of have to do a little bit of a tangent here and I apologize. Um, I love tangents. Go for it. I, I taught high school for eight years. So seeing high school from the other end of the desk changes your perception of it forever it, it, it snaps something immediately and there's no coming back from it i don't think um, <laughs> like the the moment that there's a power dynamic between you and children aged 14 to 18 you can no longer see them as anything but children and the world uh, as a whole really has this thing uh for sexualizing young women and this movie i feel like makes a statement very early on that that these are children and they are not planning on doing that. Because um, at the very beginning, one of the first lines, Maggie is like, I don't want to go to high school. And she looks over and sees these two kids uh, like making out. And she's kind of like shrugs and looks back. And it's kind of, I feel like this, it's kind of saying like, these are still children. This isn't, you know, we didn't cast, we, we cast like an, a 17 year old, a 16 year old. We didn't cast 26 year old Jennifer Love Hewitt so that we can remind you that, oh, she's trying to have sex tonight. Um, and you don't have to feel gross about it as an adult watching a high school movie. And that's something that I am more aware of having kind of been in you know, teaching students. Uh, I, I see that more and more. And I, I, you know, people might be like, it's a social justice warrior or whatever, but like, I, I'm broken in that way now. I can't unsee that. <laughs> fucking Halloween, every sexy schoolgirl and sexy cheerleader I see makes me want to fucking throw up. So it's just like, that's, that's with me forever now. And I really saw that this time and how the movie kind of made a statement we're not sexualizing these kids. They might, as like kids going through puberty, might have thoughts like that, but we are not sexualizing these kids. First of all, I need your perspective more often on this show. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, so accurate. And 
it's one of the reasons I wrote down in my notes, like, what makes this movie so different than all the other high school films that I've watched? And that has to be one of them. Because <laughs> that is that is one of the reasons why they felt like actual high schoolers. Because, yeah, you're right. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. They, they don't really try... There's actually... I'd argue to say... I'd argue that there's almost zero sexualization in this entire film. They did feel like kids. Even, um, and you know, we'll bounce around a little, even in Scott's subplot, like, on paper, him going after two twins is, like, very American Pie-esque, you know, that kind of high school thing. But I didn't feel like they sexualized those twins when we actually meet them, you know what I'm saying? Oh, completely like, agree. So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Huh, that, that's very interesting and honestly very awesome because too often, like you said, there's either they're playing... It, they're adults, and they're in these sexual situations, and it's it's odd, but we have to almost suspend our disbelief. But here, I yeah, like I, I think they make that statement pretty clear, pretty openly at the beginning that yeah, this is not that kind of movie. So there, there's yeah, one really brief moment in Rob's storyline where he's at the slumber party with a, it's a group of boys, and they're like they're watching some horror movie, and they keep rewinding like a titty shot, and like <laughs> and that is so eighth grade idea of boys thinking about women it's like that's spot the fuck on (laughs) yeah no i definitely i definitely agree with that um so as we're talking about maggie and her friend i love those bicycle shots with her and we see that the one guy who we talked about before again if i don't remember character names i apologize i don't think it's even that important in this film like uh, character names, I just know their faces. But like the cute pool guy, um, you see, there's a connection with him right away. But then they also visit that other dude. You know who I'm talking about? The curly, the mop-headed blonde kid. Yeah, felt like a real high school hangout scene to me, if that makes sense. But Absolutely. And and Maggie's whole thing, just uh, to kind of, I guess, give her a a trope, if you want to do that, from all of these movies. Like she's the one who wants to grow up like a little faster. Like she's the one who's going to steal a beer. She's the one who's going to smoke a cigarette. Um, she's the one who's going to try to make out with boys. But at the same time, like every time it that happens, there's something immediately after that still reminds you like this girl is 13 going on 14. Um, and there's an yeah. awkwardness to everything she does, but it's never, and I mean, with a lot of these characters, there's a lot of cringe, but it's never a mean spirited office esque cringe. And she's no. the one who's kind of putting herself in these situations where she's a little bit in over her head at times just because she's trying to hang out with like 16, 17 year olds while she's not there. It's a realistic over your head too, though. um, Because there's not like silly. It doesn't feel silly. If that makes sense. It just feels like I remember being a freshman and kind of being there in those sort of moments or just, you know, you're hanging out with an older kid or even just going over someone's house that, you know, but you don't really know. And it just being like sitting there briefly talking, <laughs> you know, like in most movies that I watch for this podcast, and I know I keep going back to that. Every scene, there's either a gag or there's some kind of, I don't know, inciting incident to lead to something else. And there's so many scenes that don't have that, that it's oddly refreshing, if that makes sense. For me, it kind of did remind me of being that age. I, I, I definitely spent nights at friends' houses that we just walked around the the mean suburbs of central New Jersey uh, for hours at a time at night, just talking and um, trying to figure shit out and not having any answers and having crushes on girls and liking music. And that's a night. 
a knight doesn't have to be the the wild kegger that the cops come to. It usually <laughs> isn't, actually. No, you're right. And th- and they're even talking like this should be a knight that like builds to something, and not that it doesn't, because I'm sure in their world they all had pretty big knights. But it's not in the Hollywood sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you guys can tell. I really, really enjoyed this film. <laughs> yeah, she. Uh, so, I mean, Maggie just, I mean, yeah, this movie is great. Um, Maggie is supposed to go to the same party that Claudia is at, which is like, you know, the, the girls sleep over essentially. Uh, but she ditches it to go to like a, a junior, senior, like a you know, more, more drinking kind of party. But she gets there just at the end of it, uh, sees the pool boy she has a crush on and ends up going off to like a lake to hang out with those guys. And that's really where her plot happens. That's what I just described is like 30 minutes of her plot already. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, and then we mentioned at that, you know, that lake, that's where she meets up with the pool guy and they have that moment. And <laughs> eventually, right, like, I mean, I don't want to downplay that moment, but we kind of like talked about it. He just kind of has his little monologue there. Eventually, though, like her friend ends up with the blonde kid from before, right? Sort of. I kind of. I kind of got the idea from that, that she was a little ticked off that Maggie bailed on her a little bit. So they were just kind of, I kind of got the gist that they were just kind of fucking with her. Yeah. Okay. Because so, I, I, you know, I only saw this once. So I, I kind of had questions about that because she's on like the boat with them and she's like, this is my boyfriend now or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a really good kisser. She says, as she's not looking at him and feeling very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, I, I loved like the feeling I got and like the moments there. Um, <laughs> this plot subverts expectations twice for me and maybe since you you're the expert on this but um in another movie like i feel like there would have been a moment where those two friends get in like an argument because one ditched the other or something like that and that the big blow happen. up yeah we see it so many times the big blow up between the besties there's always you know one friend who kind of has the control of the other friend that's clearly like maggie here who's definitely like the dominant friends. And yeah, we see it so many times where there's just like the big blow up and you're right. It didn't happen here. And that was fine. And the other time is when um, it establishes early on that Maggie and her friend are in like a, a jazz dance class kind oh, of. Yeah. Um, and so they, uh, they get back to shore and they're like, Oh, we're doing a talent, uh, a drunk talent show. The winner gets a bottle of vodka. And uh, Maggie like does a goofy little jazz dance. Like she's having fun with it though. And I, I feel like you're thinking the whole time, like, Oh God, they're all going to laugh at you. This is this is going to be like humiliating. And then no, everyone's just kind of having a good time. They think it's as goofy and fun as she does, and she wins the bottle, and that's it. It's it doesn't do the thing. <laughs> Which again, awesome. And I think, like I said, I think I'm liking this movie so much because it's such a change of pace from everything else I see uh, in this genre. But that, yeah, that's another moment too. Um, what wait, what ends up happening after that for her? So she goes back to where she was hanging out with the pool boy and he has left the bottle of vodka, but they made a decision since they were too drunk to work on it at breakfast. So she goes back to his house and leaves it at the door. And then later on the night, he brings it back to her and they share it. And that's kind of the end of her. And and that's kind of it, right? Yeah. They go to the, um, they go to the swimming pool together. They break into the swimming pool and hang out. And she says, you know, I don't want to kiss you. And he like gets really upset. And she's like, no, no, no. I like, I really like you. It's just, it's one night let's hang out, let's see where this goes. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. And that's it. It's something that I feel like her plot, which I loved, but would just be like a scene in another film, you know? They make it interesting for me, at least, the entire movie. I mean, I guess I'll ask this more at the end, but 
Well, I'll ask Nat, whatever. Where would you rank her plot, like, in terms of all the other plots here? In terms of your enjoyment? Mm, I think I've always liked the guy's plots the least in this movie. I think I like her and Claudia's plots the most. Yeah, there's something about hers that I was I was really drawn to. Maybe it's her, maybe it's the character, maybe it's just, like, the realness of it. But I, I think hers is my favorite. Um... But Claudia's was great as well. So, I mean, we might as well talk about Claudia's then. Unless there's anything else you want to say about Maggie and that entire plot line there. Uh, I just I wonder if, if we're thinking that way a little bit. This this just hit me because we, you mentioned a lot of punks coming through here. She's the one who's kind of more coded to be alternative with her, like, her lip ring and her nose ring and her uh, her pixie cut. I just wonder if, like, um, I don't know. I was, an, I was a punk kid who did, like, the... Was still, like, pretty not like rebellious like i did a few things here and there but i was fucking awkward as shit but like i feel like it's just maybe the most relatable to me from that time in my life yeah i was i was also an awkward punk yeah yeah no um maybe it's that i don't know i I did like everything going on there um so claudia though do you want to come inside no i feel like running she meets that other girl i guess like cross-country practice i was a cross-country runner so I related a little bit. (laughs) She invites her to um, her party and her boyfriend. I guess she she mentions that she saw them her with her boyfriend at a party and she didn't look happy. Which I'm like, if you meet someone for the first time, that's kind of a weird thing to say. So you kind of already know something's up. The boyfriend ends up saying too, like, "Oh, you know, I guess we're not hanging out. You're not a, you know." I just want to warn you, she's not like in the best crowd or whatever. Clearly deflecting, and I guess we get the most, one of the most sleepover-esque moments in her storyline. Because she's clearly at this sleepover that she's, I, I think the the other girl too like kind of relates to her in terms of yeah. like, oh, you know, you're not really friends with the host or whatever. Yeah, there's always, it, between the plots, there's usually like one character who links them. And that's um, the other girl who feels out of place. That party is Scott's sister. Yeah. So we kind of get a little, that's kind of where we have some intertwining between the two plots. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we've all been there um, at, not, maybe not recently, but <laughs> at sleepovers where either you know the person who's not exactly the one who's in the crew or fitting in, or you've been that person. I definitely have been that person too, you know? And you're just kind of like biding your time and playing along until... Uh, and I think that's what she's doing. She reminded me of me so much because when she goes up to the room and like when she goes to the bathroom and starts snooping around, I feel like as a teenager, if I wasn't like in with the party so much, I would just do stuff like that out of boredom. Um, I don't <laughs> yeah. know if that was her motivation, but I think that's what I would do. Well, her motivation was... Um, so they're, they're drinking. They're drinking like the cheapest looking wine possible. Um, <laughs> well, no, that's not true. It's actually in a glass bottle, so I guess it's not the cheapest possible. Uh, but they're swigging it straight from the bottle. Um, looks like church wine. And she goes up to go to the bathroom, and she sees on uh, this... like She's like the popular girl, I guess. She sees on her um, her mirror has all these pictures, and one of them is her boyfriend and the popular girl, like like snuggled up together. So she goes and she snoops around the girl's room and finds her diary and finds out that the boyfriend had uh, cheated on her with this girl. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the most things to conflict we have in this movie, honestly. <laughs> it really is. It's not like she, we see her like plot her revenge so much, but she kind of uh, gets it with that girl's boyfriend. Um, There's a game of Ouija. You ever play Ouija? Uh, you know, I feel like it's a classic, uh, 
sleepover thing that I, I never did. I don't I don't I don't fuck with the spirit boards, man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played either, to be honest with you. Which is a shame because it's in so many it's in so many things. I need to get like a bunch of people together and play it maybe. I don't I don't know. It's next so camp next camp cage club. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll summon that's a good idea. <laughs> They're obviously rigging it so that she'll be like scared in the basement, right? Like but why does she send her boyfriend there as well then? Well, so she she's um, Claudia is like setting it up, you know, and she says that the ghost wants two people to go to the basement, and the ghost she has the ghost spell out her name and the boyfriend's name, and so they go down to the basement, and um, she starts making out with the boy, and at the same time, the rest of the crew decides we're gonna try to scare her and like jump down there with masks and see that, um, which makes the popular girl very upset and fucks up her relationship, and yeah, Claudia kind of gets her. Gets her revenge. Gets a punch in the face for it. But gets her revenge. <laughs> she yeah. does a mean body check after she gets punched too. Yeah, no, I saw that. That and again, that that felt super super uh, real as well. Um, what happens after that? This I, very... I enjoy this movie, but it's like hard to remember. If <laughs> that makes sense. Well, yeah, that, yeah, I agree. It's it's a very ethereal movie. It's just like um, it's just it's just moments. It's it's a feeling. Uh, it's yeah, I, I completely understand. Um, every I feel like every time I watch it there are moments that I kind of have forgotten between and characters that I've forgotten between each viewing. It's like, yeah, it's like something you feel, not something you recount mm-hmm. like vignette by vignette. <laughs> she goes back to her boyfriend's house after that. Um, oh, yes. And yes. they have a very just like straightforward conversation where she says, I made out with another boy. Did you know that uh, what's her name keeps a diary? And, uh, you know, so he's, you know, he realizes the jigs up and he's like, are you breaking up with me? And she's like, probably. She ends up crashing there because it rains. And she says, just because I'm staying here doesn't mean we're still together. And that's, she leaves the next morning. And that's actually just kind of the end of her plot. She, uh, she did her thing. And like, if you think about it, which you shouldn't, because it's not that kind of movie, like going into high school, like having done that, she's, you know, she's going to eat some shit over the next year or two, but it doesn't really matter because it's not what we're here for. No. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about, but like you said, I don't really think about it, you know? <laughs> I just experience it. Um, wow, it feels like we're blasting through these plots, but really, it just this is, again, like I said, this is the kind of movie you just, you just gotta kind of see. Who do you want to do next, Rob or Scott? Um, so those, um, so Claudia's like in the middle of high school, Maggie's going into eighth grade, and Rob, let's do Rob, because he's also going into, he's going from eighth grade into ninth grade as well. Yeah, okay. And he's awkward. We're gonna go to some tunnels one of the girls heard about. <laughs> it's a makeup maze. Can we go? Rob, yeah, I had a lot of questions about Rob's uh, storyline, I guess. Right? He sees that girl at the supermarket. He wants to get with her. <laughs> and then, uh, as he said, he's the, he's the Ethan Embry of this film. Yeah. Is, is he... Um, did he come across as, like... So, here's... Uh, how, do I, how do I describe this? I feel like he's the most movie character of all of the characters in this movie. Um, because some of the stuff he does never pulls back enough for me to kind of get on his side at any point. He's just, he's awkward. He's weird. He's shy, but he comes off as a little bit too much of a creep at the beginning for me to ever kind of get back into rooting for him. It's funny. Cause so I, th- I thought something similar, like he reminds me of a lot of heroes of high school films, but not played sympathetically. Like typically in a lot of these films, they, they show guys like this and you know, they make for, you know, using their Hollywood trickery, they make us root for them. Um, but then we examine them now, especially on this show, and I'm like, wow, 
I used to love this guy, but he's super creepy now. Like, this movie doesn't do that, but he reminded me of, if that makes sense, like, characters mm-hmm. typically in films that, like, we're supposed to root for and we actually do end up getting behind because of the way it's set up. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I really wanted you to to see this movie is just to kind of compare it to all of the, um, you know, the, the tropes, the, the Hollywood high school kind of movie about high school written by someone who's actually like 45 years old. <laughs> yeah. The, like if this was a movie I would assign my theoretical class, this would be more <laughs> like a final exam kind of thing or like, like you've seen all these, what do you think of this kind of thing? Yeah. This is like 400 level high school movie. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I should have like taken years and watched all of them and then just like rated them on easiness and then done it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's really cool. I think if you followed along with this podcast and watch all the, watched all these films, you'll really like dig the comparison here. But I, I think you're right. Like we go on his journey and not that I don't necessarily like it. It, it gets very awkward and I'm not necessarily like, do you like, I don't feel like I want him to find this girl at all. I, you know, if that makes sense. I agree. I also think the movie kind of takes a neutral perspective on if he is kind of uh, a jerk or not. I don't think he ever means to be. He's just a prepubescent boy going into high school and he makes bad decisions. And, you know, if, if there's anything that's a theme of this movie, it's like as simple as sometimes the things that you really want were the thing that was right in front of you all along. And that's kind of the most literal is plot are the two the two guys who have their plots and uh yeah he spends the whole movie looking for his jennifer love hewitt and finds her at the end and it's not what it turns out to be (laughs) um he ends up at a couple of sleepovers right yeah he kind of drifts from the one with all the boys where they're they're looking at a a titty movie and then um he leaves that they they as a group go to like toilet paper houses because reminder they are still all 13 and yeah then he bounces around to the girls slumber parties trying to find his uh his supermarket girl. Um, backtrack quickly because I just remembered something. What did you think of, like, I guess he goes up um, to see, if, is that the host, like, older sister or something? Like, when she's in the tub? Yes, that's actually the one person in the movie who is, like, recognizable. That's that's actually, I guess, a young or a cameoing uh, Amy, Amy Simmons. Um, so she's she's been in some stuff. Mm. Um, and yeah, she... She's playing this, her friend's, uh, his friend's older sister, who very quickly realizes, like, this kid is not, doesn't have a crush on her, but is like, is a 13 year old kid and is a young pervert. And she, <laughs> she kind of fucks with him. She uses that and just kind of fucks with him. Um, but yeah, it's, she, it's creepy and she knows it, but she just, instead of being like grossed out and, you know, throwing him out of the house and yelling, like, would you another movie? She just kind of, she kind of uses it and just kind of has fun and just fucks with them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it was interesting because, like, you see a lot of these scenes like this in these uh, high school films, and mm-hmm. there's, there's usually some kind of payoff to them, maybe, like, later in the film. This is the only time we see her, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like the, uh, the fantasy for a young boy of, like, the older woman. This is, this is like the Stifler's mom thing, you know? Except <laughs> in this situation, she's just like, she invites him into the bathroom while she's taking a bath and he just like sits there and they talk for a second. And then she's like, she like just kind of laughs and she pulls the curtain shut and says, get out. Like that's it. Yeah. I think that was great for the setting the tone though. 
you know? It's almost like, hey, if you think it's going to be this kind of movie, you're not going to get that, like with the, with the curtain shutting. So I, I actually really, I really liked what that said. Um, so eventually, like, you know, he kind of moves around, right? Like, we, we, we see him, we see him in the familiar part, then we see him in this, he goes to this other slumber party that I don't think we know any of the characters at, unless I'm mistaken. No, he just he just kind of keeps bouncing around and looking for looking for his dream girl. He does. He also has an awkward, smaller, bookwormier friend who. So right after they get to the party that he, they get to a, the, the party that Claudia is running out of after she kisses mm-hmm. the boy, they get there at the same time and actually they're waiting outside because they can see shit going on in the window. And there is a moment there where like I never picked it up until this time, mm, but one hundred one. One hundred percent, his friend has a crush on his friend has a crush on him. Okay, I was gonna ask on about that because uh, yeah. I'm like, is there? Are they trying to say that here? I figured I think, you, you know, you know, because I think like between he, that and when they're at the makeout maze and he <laughs> turns down a girl um, and says like, oh yeah, no, I have a girlfriend, and it's like kind of walks away. Yeah, I think I think the movie is definitely coding him as like being like coming to grips with his sexuality. It's so subtly too. Mm-hmm. And there's even a moment, I don't know when it was, it might be like outside that party, like you're saying, where he's just like, he's about to tell him something, yes. but there's no, there's no tension with it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, oh my god, he's building to this moment. He just is like, uh, you know, never mind kind of thing, and we just brush over it. And I was like, yeah. am I reading this wrong? Yeah, he says just like, hey, uh, Rob, did you, ever, did you ever just like, think sometimes, nah, never mind, forget it. And like, then it just, and it's just then that. the girl comes running out. Yeah, that's it. It's... Oh, so subtle. Again, this this movie's about the notes that, like, aren't played, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, like you said, there's, like, the make-out maze. What, what ends up happening with him? He, uh, he finds the girl yeah. uh, up, on, uh, up on some stairs. It's her, and he goes up there, and he sits with her, and uh, they talk for a little bit, and he's about to go in for the smooch, and he sees that she has, like, three guys' names on her arms with phone numbers. And so he pulls back because the the fantasy fantasy was not what he wanted. No, and it's so like they don't play it up dramatically, you know. And they also don't judge her. Yeah. In any way. Yeah. It's just it's almost inconsequential. It's almost like he's had this journey. It's like oh, all right, you know. <laughs> yeah, and throughout it, kind of every now and then cuts back to um, uh, his house where his sister is also having a much smaller slumber party just with one of her friends, and they Rob and this friend uh, have you know interactions throughout. Um, but nothing ever really comes of it until the end. When after that happens, he goes back and they talk and they look up at the stars and they end up they end up kissing the one who was right there the whole time. But it does it doesn't say that this is love. It doesn't say it's anything. Like it kind of in some ways feels like he's settling for a backup plan. Like there's no there's no real commentary on it. It's just a thing that happened after another thing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. So that girl that he ends up with and like she finds like a letter from him. Am I correct? Right? Or yeah, yeah. So he um. He was bragging about um, hooking up with a girl while on vacation, mm-hmm. and uh, he finds a letter. She finds a letter from her, basically saying, "Like we, you know, we had we had some fun, but like since nothing really happened, like you know, don't don't contact me once the summer's over." Um, <laughs> and so, so she knows that he's full of shit the whole time, but never never really calls him out on it. And he eventually figures that out. Like and like I said, she's like the backup essentially here. But I don't. I kind of like her character. I don't know why. Like I want to know more, but whatever. Like. <laughs> It's not, it's not, I'm not like burning to know more about her. Um, anything else with his subplot you want to mention? Yeah, that's, that's really it. Um, he's not, not one of my favorites. Um, it's, 
it's the one where I, I feel like I feel like the audience at this point, like if anyone's listening to this, there's like neutral perspectives and the, every sentence about the plot they say, and then nothing happens. Like, why would I watch this movie? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're doing necessarily a good job of, sell- not, no. of selling this movie, but I don't think there's a possible way. Like, if we were going to really sell this movie, we'd be lying about impact scenes and stuff. It's not, it's something, again, like it's something you feel. It's not something you watch. I mean, like, it's not, I don't want to say watch. Uh, it's not something you kind of, like, there's not vignettes. There's not like, oh, you know, Stifler just drank semen in his beer, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the antithesis of that. It's just so yeah. the opposite of your typical high school film that it's really hard to. Describe and and in a way it's not because we're not you know we're not in space or anything. This is not like one of those mm-hmm. horror films I've been told about, like Jason, whatever. We're going to space with high school kids, which I'll probably have to do at one point. This is <laughs> <laughs> this is very very grounded. So it's not the opposite in that respect. It's just not it's not played for the big emotions. It's played for those little emotions we don't talk about. And and you know, listener at home, if you're listening to this and you it's like think back to. I don't know, the nights when it's like you and eight other people, because that's really what the size of a party was back then, or like sitting in someone's parents' basement uh, talking about shit and maybe having the TV on in the background. Uh, maybe you go out for a walk through the, the neighborhood and you're just talking about feelings and growing up and, and school and fears. And it's like, if, if you remember that, here's a movie about that. Now, do you necessarily want to go and revisit that? It is awkward. It was a strange, awkward, <laughs> confusing time. So I can totally understand how anyone would be like, no, I don't want to revisit that. But there's nothing else that captures that moment as realistically and as purely as this movie. Yeah, and I, you know, I think look, the show's called High School Slumber Party. We look back at these moments with nostalgia, but there's very few in like sleepovers and things like that. There's very few like big individualistic moments we remember, like big moments that happened. It's more about the feeling of being there and having that you know dare i say innocence because i don't you know i don't really want to use that word but it's more i don't know like it's like a moment in time this really captures a very finite moment in people's lives that i think you know it's called the myth of the american sleepover i don't know what it was Mm -hmm. like in england or other countries but i know growing up in america in the suburbs like you did and like i did like this is a very comparable thing to what I experienced. Um, and maybe I wasn't the main character. Maybe I wasn't one of these four here, but I certainly might have been someone at that slumber party where my night was just my night and I had a great time. But there wasn't necessarily a way I could articulate why to someone else. Yeah. And and if we if we as humans and like maturing adults at the time waited for every like major pivotal moment, we never actually would have grown. It is about those individual moments that you're not aware are shaping you that do in the long term end up creating the, the the fully like actualized human you end up being at whatever age that is. That's exactly what it is. Like I, I look back again at like back to like John Hughes with like the Breakfast Club. That's also one day. That's mm-hmm. also um, like a bunch of kids getting together. There's not if you think about like the scenes in the Breakfast Club. There's not a lot of theoretical things that happen, but it's still played up to a very theatrical level, you know, like the dialogue and the moments that happen, they, they feel relatable, but they don't feel realistic, if that makes sense. Right. I mean, yeah, at the end, they all get picked up by their parents and they have detention and that's it. But also like uh, the, the goth chick gets a makeover and 
four of four of the five pair off and like <laughs> that's it's that that's probably not a, tr- a typical saturday detention frankly no but i think at the time especially that was like the closest they got yeah. <laughs> um this is like bringing that to the next level like this is this is not the myth of the american sleepover this is the actual american sleepover so it's 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 interesting and like you said uh, i i think you're right when you said um the title is more for us like everything else to me feels like the myth of the american sleepover almost every other movie i've seen on this show right. yeah no that's yeah that's that's an interesting take on it absolutely you brought you brought the Be- breakfast club as a as a movie that i think kind of comes from the same clade as this as well as we said days and confused mostly that's just because it kind of took place over one night and there's no parents around uh, another one i don't know if you've done this on the show or plan to do this um but one that i think also kind of does that is american graffiti is maybe closer yeah, to this than others it, yeah yeah so that that's one that i think fits in line with this movie very well also yeah no that that's a really good comparison like it's a movie i definitely i'm going to do for this show but haven't got to do yet um that that's a really good point, huh? So yeah, there are like a couple films in this genre. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just happy when I get to see them. Like I I don't know if that I'm making that too obvious now, but it's just this was just such a change of pace for me that in a weird way because it wasn't like a change of pace. Like ah, I don't know. Again, I don't think we're doing a great job of describing the film, but I don't know if that's even possible. It, it subverts expectations without like being obnoxious about it. It's not like. Um... It's not scream, you know. It's it's not mm-hmm. lampooning those things and by subverting the expectations. It's just kind of subverting the expectations that society and pop culture have kind of built up for these things that most for the most part don't really exist. It's it's busting ghosts. It's busting myths. On paper, the most like traditional high school plot line here is the next one, and like the last one we're going to talk about, the Scott one with the twins. Do you know where the Abbey twins are? I told you, they're starting school. Some freshman welcome sleepover. What are you doing here? I saw you and I thought I'd say hi. Really? Um, again, it doesn't 100% go the way that it, you know, it would in other films. But basically, you know, Scott's a college kid who has dropped out or is about to drop out of school in Chicago. Yeah, he's uh, not sure if he's going back yet. Yeah, um... His sister, as you mentioned, is at one of the slumber parties, the one that Claudia's at. And he, he had a girlfriend for a while. He was like his high school sweetheart. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, can relate to like dating someone in high school and maybe it not working out. And what you think of uh, what you think it's going to happen at that point and then with, when the reality sets in. And um, yeah, he's just home. Like at one point, he's watching like, like Mothra. You know, yeah, <laughs> which I kind of liked, but uh, you see the 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 cult of Mothra twins in that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember their na- names. I wish I did, but uh, he he just what is he like? He gets a photo or sees in a yearbook that one of them wrote to him, and he's just like, I want to have sex with these twins, kind of. Unless I'm reading that wrong. Well, he he does. So how I read it, he he does the awkward thing that happens sometimes. Uh, after your first year of college, especially if you have a sibling who is still in high school, is going back to your high school um, <laughs> to uh, interact with that place that you left behind. He he does go to pick her up, and while he's waiting for her, he sees um yeah like a yearbook photo where it is of his girlfriend, but in the background it's him talking to the two twins, and he realized that he kind of he kind of the thing he says through the whole thing is like oh, I had a crush on them. I would just you know I would like to see them, and he even says 
the sister even says like, oh yeah, one of them had a crush on you for sure. Um, so I think he just wants some confirmation. I feel like he wants some validation. I don't think they do keep calling him out on like, oh, what do you think you just come here and like fuck two twins? I, I don't think he ever actually does have that intention. Mm. I think he's just kind of looking for someone, some kind of validation and his sister kind of accidentally put, you know, the carrot out there and he's just, he's kind of says, fuck it and chases it. <laughs> Yeah, because there is also that, I was thinking of that too, there is also that motivation of like, what else is he re- really doing that night? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all been there as well, especially like, maybe, maybe not now, I wish I had more nights like that, but uh, in that weird high school, undergrad, college stage, um, and the, you know, he eventually like finds out, this is where I really realize there's no cell phones, because he goes to the party of his sister, that his sister's at, and he asks her, like, oh, where will I find these twins? And they end up being, like, University of Michigan. This all takes place in, like, I believe the Detroit suburbs. I think that's what it said in the in somewhere I read. But it's definitely in Michigan. And he drives to, like, University of Michigan. And there's, like, this big, again, we can see the myth of American sleepover. There's this big sleepover in, like, um, this, like, you know, college field house that he kind of just sneaks in on. Which is surprising that nobody sees him, but whatever. And he... Makes up a lie to see the twi- uh, twins, essentially, and, I don't know, kind of hangs out with them for the good portion of the film. Yeah, and th- this is where I think the the most cringe kind of stuff comes from. Again, not in a mean-spirited office kind of way, in a growing up and being weird and not knowing what the fuck you're doing kind of way. Um, so yeah, they do hang out. They have a couple of beers. The twins do kind of say, because one of them finds that picture in his in his jacket. And uh, mm. they kind of call him out on it a little bit. And um, he, he kind of just comes out with it and he's honest. And he says, no, I, I had a crush on you guys. And I, I do love this part. They say, you can't have a crush on both of us. And he goes, well, you guys were always together. Like you always came in a pair. I always talked to you at the same time. I, I had a crush on both of you. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're two different people. If you, if you don't know that, you can't have a crush on us. And they basically, without... They do say one of us had a crush on you, but they make him say which one he had the crush on to kind of prove to kind of prove that he's not just like trying to fuck two twins. Like, and I, I love the the awkwardness and the tension that's actually built there. Yeah. So I really expected to hate this plot line. And look, it wasn't my favorite in terms of like deep feelings. But from watching this show, it re- like I said, it reminded me of a lot of not that it played the same way, but it reminded me of a lot of like teen film uh plot lines and i thought that those moments were actually quite like cringy but funny when he has to pick and not that i like 100 percent get his sentiments but by definition a crush is not rational like he doesn't really know them so to me it's kind of logical that he would have a crush on both now should he pursue both and expect them that something to happen with both of them i mean maybe that's a little unrealistic but he doesn't really know them, so of course he would have a crush on both twins, and I think whether it's been you, or your friends, or someone you know, was totally in, like, the either-or situation with, like, oh, I'm going to this girl's party, like a high schooler or a college person, I'm going to this girl's, these girls' parties, uh, this girl's kind of cute, this girl's kind of cute, whichever one I end up with is okay, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there's some of that, I don't think there's, a, like, I mean, I, I don't think it even implies that, that there's actually a twin that he actually really favors. I think he'd be happy with either of them. I know he keeps saying the both thing. because, I mean, In the end, he kind of makes the wrong guess on which twin had a crush on him, which I, which I thought was actually kind of fun. Yeah, I love the way they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one one steps way to go to the bathroom and the other um who had kind of been like the shyer one the whole time like kind of more opens up to him and they have a conversation and um it's it's kind of like the the pick the wine scene from Princess Bride. <laughs> like is the is the is the poison in my cup or your cup? And uh, <laughs> much like that guy, he he does pick the wrong one. He says, "I had the crush on you," and she kind of makes his face. And as soon as the other one comes back, she sits next to him and puts her head on his shoulder. And that framing is actually really well done. I, I do love that shot. That's shot through the door from the outside, just kind of framing all of them in the center. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, he uh, he realizes right there he he fucked up. <laughs> yeah it's it's really cool um how can i put it like the way they did that like you're saying like typically in these films they would play the opposite girl like he would have picked right if that makes sense yeah if they were going by tropes <laughs> like, so so the way they did it was like just just perfect and he picks wrong and he really can't i do like that he doesn't like try to flip-flop or anything like that or build any kind of tension. He's just like, oh, well, I like both of you. And, you know, when he there's that scene where he walks out, I mean, when he's leaving, and the one sister is like, oh, my other sister wanted me to give you um, her, her number. And it's like, tell her I've still decided on both of them, or both of you, whatever. And he's like, I think you kind of like me too. Like, I... For as weird as his like plot line is, like I don't mind how it ended if that makes sense. For for what he does, it should on paper feel way more shitty and manipulative than it does, but it does feel oddly innocent in a way. Again, I think it's because there's no it's not a hypersexualized movie. It does feel like a crush, which makes it less gross. Because they call him out on it. They say that's gross, but there's never a point I for me there was never a point where I thought that they were right. For me, it did always feel like he wasn't going there to try to have sex with them. He just wanted some, he wanted to see somebody. He wanted some validation that, you know, he, uh, he was worthwhile and he sort of inadvertently got it. And yeah, like, as you explained that, it makes sense. And like, I don't think like, uh, boredom, it might be too, too like harsh of a word, but I don't think like boredom is used enough as a plot device in films. Like he clearly was not doing anything and really had nothing else going on for him in his life especially if he was going to leave school you know like it, why not for just see if, what's up with these twins you know mm-hmm. um that's kind of his plot line and we we kind of end with this uh big parade scene that feels like it could this scene really feels like it could be in any decade in the last 50 years maybe even more because like it could even mm-hmm. be in 1950 you know yep yeah, it's uh, it's like the, it, there's they don't even say why it's just like an end of the summer parade, I guess, and it's uh, there's no big floats or anything like that. It's like the local like Elks Club and American Legion. <laughs> it it turns out that Supermarket Girl is actually the um like Miss Miss Small Town or whatever the fuck, you know she's she's on the back of a car doing yeah she's like the, uh, the beauty queen of the town yeah like Miss whatever the day is like I assume that maybe it was like an early Labor Day you know <laughs> yeah. Sure, that could make sense. But I don't know, you know, but like it's very much, I like how this movie ends because it's just, the the end feels more like a myth. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a culmination, especially because like none of these kids have slept. Like it's, it's just, it's just, except uh, I guess you do see one of them sleep, but that's that's it. It just kind of is implied that they've all been up drinking essentially for like, 
16 hours and this is like the start of the <laughs> hangover almost like coming back to the real world it made me like miss my youth because i think maybe at that age i could have pulled off like pulling an all-nighter having uh theoretically you know some part of a bottle of vodka and then dancing in the parade now i there's no chance i could not besides the fact that i'm not a dancer but theoretically i'm not getting up early for a parade after being up all night absolutely not <laughs> but again the whole town is there uh, it just it, it's cool because like we start at a town pool in the daylight it's very bright and we end at a very bright primary colored parade scene it's a great it's a great book end and it, it ends with um with maggie and her friend in silence just driving away and uh the friend puts her head on the shoulder and like they start to maybe fall asleep and that's it. The, the movie ends where their, their story of that day ends. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, again, I really like this film. I'm not surprisingly um, on Rotten Tomatoes, 81% by the critics, which is obviously really good, but 51% by the audience. But again, I'm not surprised because I think, I think it sounds so snobby, but I think you have to like really like films to like this film. Yeah, it's, it's, um, people don't, like a lot of the movies that I do. When you said that you used to tell your parents about movies, like that same shit happened to me in like probably up until I was like 22 before I gave up. Like I definitely remember <laughs> recommending like Lost in Translation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Her. Oh, that was a big one. <laughs> and yeah. that, they, they all went over like a fart in an elevator. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine specifically, I remember recommending that to my mom and her watching it like, you know, and she'd be like, Jim Carrey wasn't funny in it. Like, I don't understand. Like, what was, you know? I'm like, that's not the fucking point. Uh, whatever. But <laughs> yeah, again, it's not for everyone, but I think if you're a fan of this show, like if you found yourself here for some reason on the billions of podcasts that there are now, I think that you're going to like this film, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. It's, it's really a movie for people who have the context of what it is kind of... Uh, deconstructing or being response to. Yeah, absolutely. So on this podcast, we changed our grading system recently because I'm an idiot. I say that every week now, but I was just grading on a, like a one to five scale, but this is high school slumber party. It's A to F scale now. So in our A, we're about to enter our sophomore year. So on a, Chris, on a grade of A plus to F, what do you rank? Uh, as someone who at one point like did grading as a profession for high schoolers, <laughs> I feel very qualified to say that this is um, this is an A minus. Again, it's not one of my favorite films of all time. If I had, if there was like a Chris movie database, two fifty, like yeah, it would probably be somewhere in the back end of it. But I just think in the context of the movies that it preceded and uh, it, and it followed. Uh, no pun <laughs> pun was not intended there. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's an important and interesting and uh, valuable movie in in that genre and as kind of a uh, an epilogue to that genre in some ways. Yeah, that's a good like thing you said, like the two fifty. Like it's it's one of these films that like <laughs> I feel like it, if you had a two fifty or if I had two fifty, not that anyone would care if my two fifty, but someone would be like, oh, I've never heard of that film. That's interesting that 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 it's on there, you know, and. Mm-hmm. It would make people uh, uh, want to see it. I'm going to give this like an A minus as well, and that's kind of like a higher grade for me. Um, but I really, you know, this film was awesome to me. Like I really, really, 
enjoyed it again, especially in the context of this podcast. Really quickly, since you were a teacher, you said so. Yeah. From my switch to the one to five scale to this A to F scale, there's been a little bit of controversy from people talking to me because, like, one to five, right? Like, one would be F, two would be D, but like people get people are more offended at a D than a two, if that makes sense. Uh, I could see that, I guess. Okay, sure. so better example is, like, you give something a C, people are upset. But if you give something a 3, they're okay with it. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to like, rationalize that. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe just the trauma of having gotten C, Cs before <laughs> in your life and, and your mom being mad. So it's just, it's there now that this C bad. Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't know. To me, it's, to me, it's not that bad. But I do agree that, like, a C is not... I guess a C on paper is indeed average, but, like... You, you want to strive for better than that as a student, you would hope to strive for better than that as a, uh, as a film or as a piece of art. But at the same time, like, I don't think something that's a C is necessarily bad. No, no, exactly. Again, if you think of it as a three, that's not a bad grade. It's better than, well, I guess yeah, it's the it's, middle, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's the movie that you watched and you didn't regret that two hours and that $7.50 or whatever you paid. Uh, that's probably 2004 high school prices. Really, really, you know? um, but like, but are you going to come back and watch it again? Nah, probably not. Are you gonna, maybe going to forget it like within a year? Yeah, but it's better than forgetting a movie as you watch it, like a fucking Transformers movie. <laughs> no, absolutely. So a couple other things, um, some new things, some old things. But every week I ask my guest. Oh, so, sorry. First, is there anything else you want to mention about the myth of the American sleepover? We, we kind of underplayed the direction of it in general. I think there's some really gorgeous shots. Mm. Um, I think the cinematography is fine. It's, it's a very muted color kind of scheme. Um, I guess that kind of dullness was maybe, maybe intentional um, for, for the tone or something. But, um, but you, you could see the talent here of someone that would go on to do a movie like It Follows. Like This was a good trial run in a lot of ways. Despite how different those movies are genre-wise, this you could see it was a really great test run for where he would go. Especially again, like this was, um, I was, there's very few scholar, sorry, there's very little scholarship on this film naturally, but the budget was somewhere between 30 and $50,000, which is unheard of, obviously. It would, you know, I think it was shot in like a red camera or something similar. So it wasn't anything, you know, it's something that like you and I theoretically could acquire and shoot a film not that we would make a film like this i'm just saying like i'm not trying to downplay it that way but uh for like what it was i thought it was like very pretty and very awesome and like you said it, it is almost like a perfect like oh when i watch this i'm like oh i get how this guy made it follows even though it's completely like different genre it it definitely feels like if i were a producer and i saw this film i would give the the whatever Theoretically, if I had the money, give uh, whatever money this guy wanted to make another film. And that makes sense what it follows. And uh, again, I'm eager yeah. to see uh, his other film. Yeah, and I would imagine that something exactly like that did happen because this won the jury prize at South by Southwest the year it came out. And a lot of those independent um, you know, film companies, your, your A24s or whatever, whatever it was it was back then, uh, you know, Austin City Limits and South by Southwest and uh, uh, what's a fantastic fest like. Uh, Texas and Austin is like one of the hubs for a lot of where those movies get picked up. So it doesn't surprise me. Someone probably did see this and went, let's give that guy some money. Wow. Yeah, no. And it's so, it's so true. Like it's, it's funny. Cause um, what's it called? 
Why am I blanking right now? We set up a forward. Does, uh... Oh, uh, uh, isn't Days and Confused take place? I think around Austin and stuff. So. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. I think so. So we're like kind of tying it in there. Yeah. Um, regardless, like it, this film, like I can't wait to see what this director does next. Even though I haven't seen his most recent film, so that's probably a shitty thing to say. But uh, I, yeah, no, I, I think yeah. you're right. I think this is something where, again, I'll, we'll say it a million times on this. Just watch this film, and I hope you have done your homework and watched this film and then listen to us. I think what we're saying is so much better if you have seen this film because if you if you just listen to this episode cold turkey you're going to be like what the hell are these guys talking about because i don't think we mentioned like one groundbreaking thing this entire time you know so so what you're telling me then is this is the podcast version of the myth of the american sleepover it's like <laughs> it was really good but not a lot happened and no one's going to remember it essentially <laughs> essentially so every week i ask uh, my guest and I don't know how I don't know how it's gonna go this time. So you could say whatever, and it's your first time, or whatever. But I usually ask them, um, what sleeping bag they bring into the slumber party that's themed of the film. I don't know if you could find a theme of the film here. So whatever sleeping bag you want to bring to the slumber party, and, yeah, I and think, invent one. I think if you bring any sleeping bag to this movie, you have done it correctly because multiple characters do carry sleeping bags to slumber parties in this movie. So I think we should just join them. Let's just jump in. <laughs> let's, br- let's bring our sleeping bag. Let's um. Let's drink a bunch of cheap wine and then boot and rally and make out with someone's boyfriend. <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me. Okay, right. so this is a new feature this year. Um, it's called Rent 2, Get 1 Free, because I remember going to Blockbuster in high school and maybe wanting to rent one movie and then seeing that Rent 2, Get 1 Free thing and be like, you know what, let's, ha- let- let's hang out with the guys and just watch three movies or... Most people will probably fall asleep before the end of three, but let's do it. And if theoretically the one movie we went to the blockbuster to rent was The Myth of the American Sleepover, um, is there another movie that you would suggest? Or it, it could be anything that you're even thinking of. So m- my contribution um, is g- simple. I'm going to keep it easy. I'm going to say It Follows, because if you're listening to this episode and you haven't seen It Follows, I feel like you should watch The Myth of the American Sleepover and it follows to really get like what this director is all about. So is there any other movie that would be our third on our rent to get one free here? Um, I would really recommend American Graffiti because I think a lot of people know that it was by the Star Wars guy before he was the Star Wars guy. But like, <laughs> don't know anything else about it. And um, I think it deserves more recognition than just being the Star Wars guy's first movie. And um, I think I think it does fit pretty tonally well with Myth of the American Sleepover as well. So in regards to a double feature, I think they'd be a pretty solid one. Yeah, that's actually a great one. So, you know, when you mentioned that, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't think about it, but that makes perfect sense. So, no, I really thank you for bringing this film to my attention. Maybe maybe uh, next time you're on, we'll do something that's more, uh, I don't know. Well, I was thinking, since I did go back and listen to that, um, uh, the... I keep wanting to call it She's All That, but no, the Can't Hardly Wait episode. Um, <laughs> I heard a very uh, fervent defense of Josie and the Pussycats, which uh, over at Now and Again, we are uh, pretty big fans of that movie, as well as uh, Nico's husband, Kevo, who does yeah, HTML with him, also loves that movie. So we might have to have like a Josie and the Pussycats roundtable over on Now and Again at some point. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats, I don't know. So I don't know if I said it on that episode or later episodes, but... 
are you at all aware of the impact that this show has made on the Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack? Um, yes, I, I did. It was on that episode. You mentioned okay. that uh, you got uh, letters from Cleota, which <laughs> is good because I was just making like a fun, like high school power pop playlist. And <laughs> I added that on, I added three small words on Spotify. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Again, there's no proof that high school slumber party was that, but like, come on again. Just a refresh if you guys ha- didn't uh, hear that episode. Because uh, it wasn't about... Someone else mentioned it on a previous episode. I forgot, I forgot how that happened. But for whatever reason, I you know I tagged uh, one person who tagged another person, who tagged Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo, about this not, uh, Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack not being on Spotify. And within like a day or two, it was on Spotify. So I, again, I, I don't know if we helped with that, but I'd like to think so. And I'd like to think that that's going to be my legacy on planet earth. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> how, how many movies like market themselves to the exact audience they're satirizing? It's like, <laughs> it's like fight club, Joe's and the pussycats, spring breakers. Like that's some pretty good company, I guess. Now it's debatable. So I don't know. I've wanted to do that film, but it's debatable because there's no direct reference to high school in the film. I believe. Yeah, I, I don't think there is, but the characters from like the Archie comic are in high school. So whatever, I've been doing this show for over a year. I'm, I'm leaning on definitely like breaking the rules a little bit. Cause it's not like they're not explicitly in college or anything. If there's one regret I have about high school, it's that I didn't break enough laws at a time that I could get away <laughs> with it. So break the rules, man. <laughs> oh, I definitely agree. So, so Chris, Chris podcast, anything you want to plug or, um, I know obviously you've alluded to it. You have your show and such. Yeah, come on over to Now and Again, um, part of the Cage Club Connected Universe. Uh, me and Nico talk about the Now That's Why I Call Music series. You know, right now, we are uh, we just got out of high school, actually. We're in uh, 2006, I believe. So we're hitting uh, your, your Rihanna's and your, your Coldplay's and your Kelly Clarkson's. And we're talking about uh, not just about the songs themselves, but about the context of the time, um, personal stories that relate to that time. And we, we were you know, just kind of, it's kind of the music that we've grown up with and how it's affected us and how... Uh, how well it holds up. Spoilers, usually it's not that well, but you got some gems in there. And, uh, it's a very so compatible podcast, so I feel, I feel like if you're a fan of this show, because, I mean, you know, we talk about high school movies, and for most of, like you said, not, not everyone's the same age, but the Now series was so impactful for that generation, so I, I, think, it's, I think fans of this show will, will dig your show as well. I mean, if you're if you've listened this far and you haven't found me completely fucking intolerable, then <laughs> it's just kind of more of this, but with pop music. <laughs> okay, so I promised that if I had one of you guys on, I would ask you this question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you that uh, I don't know if you're prepared for, but I'm gonna ask Uh-oh. about it. Like um, Monkey Club, are we ever getting another episode? <laughs> um, I mean. <laughs> I I would guess no, but that that ball is far more into uh, Mr. Larson's court than it is mine. Uh, I I love I, I've listened to all the Monkey Club episodes, but I love Monkey Club has been like the I don't know if you, like you're aware of it, but Monkey Club's been the punchline of so many other shows <laughs> on here, like as it as it should be. <laughs> like I I've heard some people like uh, you don't want to end up like Monkey Club, but like. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I do honestly, though, wish Monkey Club continued. Well, uh, here's, some, here's some inside baseball that we were eventually going to do an episode of on um, the Zookeeper, the, um, 
King of Queens talks to animals movie. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and my friend is an actual zookeeper. We were going to have an actual zookeeper oh on God. the zookeeper and it, it never happened. That I need to like, that's like one of my goals in life. That needs to happen. I'm going to make that. Happen. Are you still friends with the zookeeper? I am. I am. That's going to happen. I'm going to make that happen. I'm sorry. Like it's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it again. Love to have you on again. Uh, maybe we'll do the Josie thing if I can get past my literalness of what this podcast is. But I appreciate you taking the time and, and again, introducing me to a film that wasn't even on my list that I had no idea even existed. So, again, much love and appreciation for that. You're welcome. I had a, I had a blast. Thank you so much, Chris Podcast, for stopping by. And thank you so much for bringing the myth of the American sleepover to our attention. So your homework for next week... Another summer film. I think you're going to like this one. One Crazy Summer. Watch it and be ready to talk about it. Or listen to people talking about it. You know what I mean. Ah! Ah! The movie started! The movie's done! Not really. I just want them to come running in from the lobby thinking that they missed something. Ha! I'm Edge Stewart, movie star. Also known as Bobcat Goldthwait, and me and my friends John Cusack and Demi Moore. I hate boats. I'm not getting on any boat. I beg to differ. Just had one crazy summer. Your dad said you were collecting shells. Shells. 57 millimeter. We did all the normal things people do. Hey, little boy, will you hold on to this for me? Hey, friends. Sorry. Oh, no. Saw the sights. Please, you're enormous. It's anything but chilly. Killed our own food. Women. Are you ready for me, Hoops? We were party animals! Everyone loved us! My car. And we loved every minute! God. By the end of the summer, I felt I'd grown a lot personally. I felt a little bit better about who I was and where I was going. Okay, let's move it out! Here we go! Wait! And our guest is first-timer, but long-overdue high school slumber party invitee, Christian Larson. Can't wait till you hear what we have to say about one crazy summer. How about that bobcat voice? I'm not going to attempt to do it. (laughs) So, that's your homework, and I'll make it quick this week. And I'll leave you with not a song from the myth of the American sleepover, but... A song from Josie and the Pussycats, because we talked about it. And I gotta hear it. Three small words. Later, dudes.
you're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.